0: Yeah. Carrie works very hard to make this the kind of place that your kids like to come and encounter Jesus. And so we can't express enough how much we appreciate you, Carrie. Thank you. And you too, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. And this is Nathan, the deputy deputy lead pastor. And I'm Chris. I'm the lead pastor and community architect here. And really glad you all are here. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to let you go to mommy class and let me quickly, there's a cold, there's some colds going around huh? if anybody needs, help yourself, uh, if anybody needs some of this, I took a, a three hour nap yesterday right in the middle of the afternoon because I couldn't do anything but, so hopefully that won't come through this morning, but um, yeah, Jesus, would you fill this place with wholeness and health and... Um, energy and life and vitality would you animate us Holy Spirit with all that you have and all that you are so that we could once again see what you want us to see yeah would you just like Betty shared would you take us by the cheeks and just kind of look us in the eyes and let us hear your whispers into our face that it's going to be alright and I'm with you and I'm for you Holy Spirit may that truth permeate our souls our spirits our hearts this morning Would you remind us what this is all about? For your kingdom's sake, we pray. Amen. I love Sunday mornings. I love this. What a beautiful group of people. So, over the last few Sundays, we have been refilling some common things we talk about in the Christian world with um, not so much new as much as old. Content. We've been filling things with the content of the person of Jesus. And I'll give you a few examples of that. We've been talking about, one thing we talked about is, is salvation. And how for me at least growing up, salvation was a set of ideas that you agree with and you become a Christian. But we've been talking about how salvation more than that, more than being a set of ideas we believe, is actually a person that we know and love and obey and walk with. Jesus, the person, is salvation. He's the one that saves us and restores us and heals us. We talked about eternal life and how eternal life is not just about going somewhere someday, but eternal life is also about knowing someone, knowing the eternal one. And that starts in this life, in this world today. How every moment is loaded with eternity because the eternal one inhabits every moment with us. And what a beautiful thing that is. And we talked about this idea God can't look upon sin, and we said maybe it's not that God can't look upon sin, but maybe that sin can't look upon God. And it's our sin and shame that distort our understanding of God and God's character. And what would it be like to reframe that, and what did Jesus come to do? And last week, we talked about fun things like the flesh, which is kind of like that, that bad word, you know, the, the flesh. and We talked about temptation. And we talked about identity. And I, I wish that I would have shown the video clip, but it would have been kind of a um, this is a little intense, I think, for where we were going. But the video clip that was very appropriate was from the movie Blood Diamond. Who's seen that movie? So Blood Diamond is a story of in South Africa, where this young boy gets basically kidnapped and taken to become a child soldier. And it finally, sorry, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, his father comes to rescue him. And the son has just this glazed over look. He's become kind of brainwashed. He's forgotten who he is. And the father just takes him, just similar to Betty's picture, and he says, your name is, and he, I don't remember his name, and that's why the clip is better to play, but he says, you are a good boy. And he just reminds him. He kind of cuts through all the things that he had taken on. He says, you are a good boy. And the son, you could see just the shells start to crack. And tears come to his eyes. And, and that's what Jesus does to us, especially moments of temptation. We talk about how temptation isn't something in us that, that is evil. It's the broken parts of us that are longing for love. And Jesus comes, instead of taking those things away, he offers us himself in their place. So I've been having fun. And this morning, as we've been refilling things with the person of Jesus, I wanted to talk about a fun one. I wanted to talk for a minute about heaven, and what we think about heaven. And then I wanted to transition us to this idea of the kingdom of the heavens, and what that has to do with us, and a little bit how it relates to, uh, I found out a few days ago it was Back to the Future Day recently. Did anybody not know? Anybody else not know what that meant at first? <laughs> so apparently, yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg and, who is it, Robert Zemeckis, they were, they were kind of close with some things. We still don't have hoverboards and we still don't have flying cars, but apparently it was Back to the Future Day. But I wanted to, to reframe a little bit Heaven and the Kingdom of Heaven, and it actually relates to Back to the Future, what that, the story those movies tell. So a good place to start is Scripture. Can we agree on that? So if you'd like to open up or you can just look on here with us, We're going to look in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And so the disciples are gathered together. In Acts chapter 1, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples are gathered together and they have this loaded question, this burning question to ask him. And they say, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And most people interpret this answer as a no but it's maybe not actually a no. He replies, typical Jesus, if he doesn't answer a question with a question, he gives the most vague answer ever. <laughs> it's like, uh, can I, did you hear my question? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the wrong question. He says, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, now this is where we're going to start our message. And then we'll go back to the first half later. When he had said this, as they were watching, put yourself in this situation. Jesus has just come back after three days in the grave and he's hung around with you for 40 days. And you're like, okay, let's, let's do this thing, Jesus. You're back. You're raised from the dead. Let's see the kingdom come. And he says, toodles, peace. Literally, he did say that. He said, peace, shalom. It says, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him. Wouldn't this be a fun thing to kind of like get special effects in our church and get like a big production going and kind of like have the smoke and fog things? I'm just kidding. We won't have to do that. But as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now this is where it gets tricky to talk about heaven. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is really tricky. How many of you picture Jesus kind of being lifted by a cable up, up, up into the sky until you literally can't see him anymore. But is that really what's going on? And let me tell you why I think I would propose an alternate understanding of that and why I think it's important. It does say that he was taken up, but it says that he was lifted up and then something takes him out of their sight. my understanding of heaven, and I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but my understanding of heaven is always that it's, first of all, very far away. It's otherworldly. It's somewhere up in the clouds. And it's anywhere but here. But I want to show you a quote from the author who passed away recently. His name is Dallas Willard. This is from his book, The Divine Conspiracy, which is a book best taken in small bites. He says... The damage done to our practical faith in Christ and in His government at hand by confusing heaven with a place in distant or outer space or even beyond space. The damage done is incalculable. It's a lot of damage. Of course, he says, God is there too. But instead of heaven and God also being always present with us, as Jesus shows them to be, we invariably take them to be located far away, and most likely at a much later time, not here and not now. And we should then, and this is the kicker, and we should then be surprised to feel ourselves alone. Thanks, Dallas, for that gentle <laughs> that gentle, moderated, tempered word. Think for a minute about our idea of space. When you picture space, do you picture it filled with anything? Or do you equate it with the concept of empty? Vacuousness. Is it possible that space actually is the furthest thing from empty? but that space is actually filled with God. Now heaven is simply, heaven gets tricky because heaven is, it's less geography and it's more simply the place where God is. And so the question is, well, where is God? And I noticed that we use language of up quite often, right? But isn't it interesting that Paul said things like, This unknown God, Acts chapter 17, he says, this unknown God in whom we live and move and have our being. He's indicating kind of all around us. And as you look at the Old Testament and scriptures, it says a voice came from heaven. I don't think that voice came from up. I think that voice came from around. So what I've been wondering is, and this is not the the main part that I want to spend time on this morning, but I guess what I've been wondering is, what would it look like for me practically to realize that at every moment, The space all around me is filled with the presence of God. That God isn't someone I need to invoke from far away, but that God is filling the space all through here. And sometimes we're more aware of it than others. But would that change anything for you? To realize that heaven is right in front of you, and right beside you, and right behind you? So am I saying that God's not in heaven, or heaven's not someplace we'll go someday? Oh, of course I'm not saying that, but I think that Dallas's words are very, very important to us. That Jesus came to bring us the reality of God incredibly present and in our midst. But since you're all on board with me on that, let's move forward. And Right? You guys are tracking. Yeah, Some of those things you just kind of have to say. Um, but let's go back to our passage. Because... This is what I realized in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, they were much less concerned with the where of heaven and much more concerned with the when. They were much less concerned with where is heaven and they were much more concerned with the when of heaven. And for them, it wasn't this thing of the hope, the expectation wasn't, well, I want to die and go to heaven someday. The hope was, I want to be set free from all this garbage and oppression and suffering and evil. And that's the question that... We're supposed to go back to Acts real quick. Oh, I guess I had this verse on here for a reason. Some of you might be wondering... How do I go backwards? Did I go backwards? Let's go to... Where's it at? I went ahead a lot. What is happening here? This is super awkward. That's the one I wanted. Well, now you've seen the edge of the message, the end of the message, so. All right, let's pray. Let's dismiss. Is it good for you? Now what about this statement, real quick. Pilate replied, this is Jesus being interviewed, or <laughs> Jesus being interviewed by Pilate, I guess we could say interrogated. Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Pilate says they, they say that you call yourself a king. Why are you calling yourself a king? And he says, well, guess what? My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Have you ever had believers take that to mean Jesus' kingdom is very otherworldly and has nothing to do with this life, this place, this space, this time? But maybe this will be helpful. This was helpful for me. The word world here that Jesus uses is the Greek word kosmos. And not only does it indicate physical space, it can indicate that, but even more importantly than physical space, I think it could be better translated system. My kingdom is not of this system. My kingdom is not of this way of operating, this way of being, this way of governing, this way of doing things, of doing authority, of doing power. Doesn't that make more sense? He's not saying my kingdom is not of this physical space. He says it very much is. Just wait and see. Revelation doesn't give us a picture of Jesus taking all the believers away forever. It gives us a picture of Jesus bringing the heavens to the new earth. And heaven and earth meeting together. It says, and I saw, John says, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus comes to restore this world, not to reject it and move us on from it. But he says, my kingdom is not of this system. It doesn't do things the way you're used to seeing things done. And so that's why he had to not answer the disciples' question when they say, are you now going to restore the kingdom? They had a certain idea of what that looked like. And he says, "Uh, you're asking the wrong question because you're imagining the wrong kind of kingdom. And I want to quickly give you a few reasons why they wanted a certain kind of kingdom. And these are the four reasons. Four point sermon this morning. These are the four reasons that they wanted a certain kind of kingdom, a kingdom that would come in power and overcome evil. And this kingdom was because they had been overtaken the Israelites who were promised a land God promised a land to Abraham and what's their whole story about it's about being removed from this land first of all by the Assyrians in 721 BC and then by the Babylonians and then by the Medo-Persians and then finally they've had a few hundred years of a break they're in their own land again and then the Romans come in and so they're in their own land but they're occupied and dominated by another And they're saying, God, I thought we were your people. I thought you were calling us to freedom. Because they read the prophets, the prophets that promised a day where one day all oppression would be overcome. The prophets promised them a day when all suffering would stop. When all evil would be eradicated. They longed for that day, and they thought it would come in a certain way. And Jesus says, guess what? There were actually four different groups that had four different interpretations of what it would mean for God to bring that kingdom into reality. And as, we, as I describe these briefly, I'd, I'd encourage you to pay attention and see if you hear this in a modern day context. Because these are often expressed in different ways, but in, with the same kind of undergirding idea. First, in Jesus' time, there were the zealots. The zealot's idea of how God would set the Israelites free, set the Jews free, from Rome or from whoever, was through military power, was through violence, was fighting fire with fire. Have you ever seen believers believe that the best way to, I better be very careful with what I say right now. Can you fill in the blank so that I don't have to make it explicit? Have you ever seen believers believe that their job is to, in a militant way, bring the kingdom or to bring the reign of God? That's what the Zealots thought. They thought, well, we need to fight. We need to bring the battle. Let's take the battle to them. The Herodians, and mixed in with the Herodians, were the Sadducees. And the Herodians, their idea was, you know what? These people are just too powerful. Rome is too powerful, so we may as well just give in and cooperate. We may as well just kind of succumb to what they're doing and do it their way. Have you ever seen believers kind of choose that route? The route of non-resistance, of just kind of saying, all right, well, let's just do things the world's way then. I've been that believer before. The third group were the Essenes. And the Essenes, their idea was, you know what, this world is broken, these Jews are too... I guess, too off, and God's not going to come for them. So what we need to do is move out into the desert and create our own alternative society. Let's just isolate. Let's go do our own thing. Have you ever seen Christians choose that route? Let's disengage. Let's go do our own thing. And maybe God will bring the kingdom just to us. And fourth, we have the Pharisees. And we know most about the Pharisees because they were the ones that seemed to challenge Jesus the most. But the Pharisees, their idea was God will bring the kingdom when we are more faithful to following Torah. When we are more faithful and more obedient and more pure. And so their idea was get rid of the impure among us. Get rid of the sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Get rid of them. The more clean we live, the more pure we are, the more obedient we are, the more quickly God will come. But we never have Christians that go that route. That's called Sar. So what does Jesus do? Let's go back to Acts 1 again. What does Jesus do? He says, you know what? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And what the Holy Spirit is going to do is enable you to live this life of the future. See, the kingdom that they expected to come in all these different ways, the kingdom actually came in the person of Jesus. Jesus was the one that lived the reign of God through his very life. He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He tells all these groups, Don't say there it is or look here or look there. He says the kingdom of God is in your midst and I think he's talking about this. He says I'm right here. This world where evil is eradicated and oppression is going to be overcome and suffering will stop and loneliness will be alleviated. This world that you're dreaming of, this world has arrived in me. And obviously we have somebody very excited about that and he wants us to have an altar call. It's not time for the altar call, buddy. Okay? He, he really does get excited when we start preaching Jesus and the kingdom. Let me read something to you. There's so much I could say and so much I want to say, but I want to read you a quote by a French revolutionist. Is that Okay? Maybe I shouldn't have said that part. No. This is from a man named Jacques Elol. Think about this in light of the conversation we're having. How does the kingdom come? And how does the kingdom come in and through our lives? He says, the Christian should neither withdraw from the world, like some of them wanted to do, nor be lost in the midst of the world, like some of them were tempted to do. He says, instead the Christian should bring the reign of God and the world into collision. I like that a lot. No wonder he was a revolutionary. The Christian should not avoid the world nor give in to the world, but bring the reign of God and the world into collision. I'm noticing in some of us kind of a, a stirring. There's been kind of this movement at Coastlands. It's like, okay, God's healing our hearts. We're, we're gathering together. We're joining up in community. I'm noticing kind of this posture among some of us of kind of like this, all right, I'm coming here to just, you know, to, to restore, get whatever it is that we're looking for. And it's kind of this movement towards this kind of forward posture of like, all right, what are we doing? Let's, let's do this thing. There's something kind of working its way out of me. What is it and what is it going to look like? I don't know how many of you are feeling that, but I know some of you are. I don't know what it looks like, but I do know what's undergirding it. This future world that Jesus promised, this future world, Jesus says, guess what? I'm calling you and inviting you to be the place where that future world lands in the present. That's what it has to do with back to the future is we're called to be the ones that taste this community that we'll one day taste and experience the presence of God that we'll one day fully experience. And Jesus says, go and grab that and make that a part of yourself and bring it into the world today. Go to those places of darkness and fill it with my light. Go to those places of despair and fill it with my hope. Go to those places of longing and fill it with love. He's inviting us to do that as a church. That's what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, pray. Our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It wasn't just a bring the vertical down to earth. It was bring the future into the present. Make the then, the now through our lives. I think that most of our youth, Dan, have already kind of snuck out. And so, can we just roll with it for a few more minutes? Um, This is kind of the main thing that I think brings us all together. And then I want us to process. I think a shift that God would invite us to in regards to heaven and the kingdom of heaven is that heaven will become for us no longer a place that we sit and wait for but a realm that we seek and work for. Heaven is something that we experience in our Sunday mornings together, it's something we experience in our community in our acts of love and faithfulness and service and God says take those things, grab them from the future and throw them into the present. Because I want people to experience that restoration, that hope, that sense of community, that sense of belonging. I want my kids to experience that now, today. John Wimber and uh, another guy named George Eldon Ladd. If you want to read a really robust book on the Kingdom of God, pick up a book called The Presence of the Future by George Eldon Ladd. and he was very formative in shaping Vineyard Kingdom theology. But his book called The Presence of the Future. And in Wimber and Ladd, they use this term that the Kingdom of God is this mix between the already and the not yet. Between the now and the not yet. And the question is, how do we bridge the gap between the now and the not yet? And the answer is, us right now through our lives. The temple in the Old Testament, really quick, the temple in the Old Testament was the place where the presence of heaven, the presence of God, collided with earth. Isn't it interesting that we're called to be the new temple? So my question for us is, what is God stirring in you? what dimensions, what dynamics of the future world that God has promised of evil overcome and suffering stopped and basically this place of peace and rest and belonging what aspects of that is God inviting you to embody in your world and to experience today? because going back real quick to this passage, last thought going back to this passage Jesus says hey I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to give you my spirit. And you will become the answer to your own question. What was the answer? They went around healing. They went around driving out demons. They went and brought restoration to things that were broken, hope to those that were lost. They went around bringing the presence of the future into that day. The ones that bridge the gap between the already and the not yet? It's us. I don't know if you can tell, but there's a lot more I could say about this. And that clock is just kind of like, keeps kicking me in the face. (laughs) Kali says, don't look at it. But more than me talking about it further, because you guys are with me, right? I mean, the reality is, Vineyard, we understand the kingdom. But it's one of those things that we never need to be, we can't be reminded of too often. That one day all these things we experience, our body's failing us. Okay, let me just say this really quickly. Because I think sometimes one of the problems with the disconnect between this world and our idea of heaven is we say, well, what's the point? Have you ever found yourself saying that? If Jesus is going to do it all anyways, if everything will one day be made new, if Jesus is going to take care of it all anyways, what's the point? And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, it's the longest chapter of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, a chapter about resurrection, about these new bodies, Larry, that we're going to have one day. These new resurrection bodies that are no longer able to be touched by death. Paul says, this is the new body you're going to have. This is the new experience you're going to have. Won't that be amazing? I'll no longer be gluten-free. I'll no longer have to tell stories about seizures and passing out because I ate soy. Seriously? And after this long rant that Paul goes on, you know what the very last thing he says? He says, always be hopeful, unwavering, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What's that supposed to mean? Every single thing you've done, Larry, every little kid you've smiled at, every youth that you've embraced and given hope to, that piece of reality will be carried into the next world. Isn't that beautiful? Always be steadfast, unwavering, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus will preserve every ounce of good we've done in the next world. Jesus, would you help us to be ones, would you help us to be a church that is so compelled and captivated by your vision for the future that we cannot not express it, embody it, and live it out? Would you help us to have a glimpse of that day where loneliness is no longer a concept? where that feeling of wanting to give up doesn't exist because we see what you're up to in all times, and all ways, in all places. That time when we know ourselves so clearly that we, we don't have these questions of what am I supposed to do? Who am I? What is this all about? Jesus, would we be the kind of church that doesn't just Sit and wait for heaven that seeks and works with you to bring the kingdom of heaven today. Before we before we move into a time of praying for each other, what is, if anything, what's God stirring in you as it relates to to this? What what longings is maybe God stirring? Or what um, what vision? Or what yeah, what's what's God stirring in your heart? What piece of the kingdom is surfacing? I mean, imagine, what if we could go through life realizing all that Jesus has in store for us and knowing that maybe it's, you know, maybe it's more at our disposal than we think? Maybe it's more at our disposal than we think? Um, I'd like to transition us into praying. So, Brenda, is there a way? Yeah, is it okay? Um, So I want to hold on to what you're saying. um, Not hold off on, hold on to um, what you're saying. And I want to make sure... I'm with Larry. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, man. So just real quick, um, I'm doing a whole new set of labs for what's going on with my body. And my adrenal glands basically have not improved over the last like three years from the data we just got two days ago. So that was super discouraging, to be honest. Um, my chart, if, if really quick, your cortisol levels are supposed to start kind of high in the morning and then drop throughout the day. And if your adrenal glands are not functioning, it'll start really low, and then I take supplements during the day. So I go way, way beyond the normal range, in the, below the normal range in the morning. Then I go up and past the healthy range in the afternoon, and then I dip back down. And it was pretty discouraging, to be honest with you, because um, there's a lot of ramifications of that for everything else in my body. And so I would love some prayer, like Larry, just that my body would come in alignment with my future body, and I could have a taste of it now because I get sick of this and so yeah but Betty how can you help us just kind of how do you see this looking to, to pray for one another I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on you right now